Forensic scientists, what is the most WTF case that you ever had? A friend of mine is a CSI, and I don't know if he's posted here, but just in case he hasn't, I'll put this here. Anchorage, Alaska, 2008. A 27-year-old woman hasn't paid her rent in four months. The landlord gave her a bit of a reprieve because he knew she was very poor and she was in a low-income housing. But after four months of zero contact, enough is enough, and he calls the cops to get into her place and either see her to talk or change the locks and remove her stuff to a storage shed so the apartment can be released to someone else. The cops find the front door to be bolted and use the landlord's key to get in, then find the woman dead in her shower, just sort of slumped as if she fell against the wall and slid down. The water wasn't on, and as this is Alaska and in the winter, the water is never shut off by the city because if hot water isn't moving through the pipes, they freeze and burst. The fact that her shower is off means she never turned it on or someone turned it off. The body is taken to the morgue and autopsied at the family's request because no obvious means of death can be found. As far as the examination could conclude, she died from an adrenal surge causing her heart to stop, more commonly known as frightened to death, which yes, can actually happen in some rare cases. The body was old, but no test showed any residual illegal substances in her system. None were found in the apartment, nor was there any sign of anyone having entered or left before the cops. The young, pretty average health woman appears to have gotten into her shower, and then her heart stopped due to terror. As far as I know, that's where the story ends. No substantial evidence. When I was pretty young, I got into all of like the procedural crime shows and stuff like CSI, Law and Order, just all those things, so I'm, I'm kind of interested in this topic. A friend of mine is a forensic scientist and her department dealt with burglary cases only, usually generating pretty uninteresting stuff to tell people. But her only good story is that once she got a pair of gloves found at a crime scene, she went to examine them and felt that there was something hard inside. She turned the gloves up to get it out and out falls a thumb, ripped off at the first joint. Apparently this particular burglar was holding up a safe while his mate went underneath it, dropped the safe on his hand ripped his hand out and ran. They obviously caught the guy. The only interesting story they have, kind of rude, but uh, I wonder if whoever called them was like, so, was it worth it? A friend is a psychologist whose previous life was in crime scene photography. She went to the scene of a self-deletion in a garage. This guy had a project car that he worked on his whole life. When he decided to end it all, he wanted to go with the car. So he shut the garage and turned on the engine and waited. To top it off, he had taken a bunch of pain and sleeping pills. When my friend got there, it was a good while after his death. EMTs and other specialists were there looking for details and whatnot. He was the VP of a fairly large chain of local business. So there was an insurance settlement to consider. My friend is in the middle of photographing the scene and the guy was laying there, pronounced dead hours ago, and he suddenly just shook hard. She thought it was a death rattle, so she kept taking pictures. Eventually, the guy sat up and nodded and the EMTs were called back in to stabilize him and eventually save him. Apparently, the car had run out of gas right at the moment he went out and he was pronounced dead on the scene. He couldn't talk or do much, but he had actually survived. I don't know what the laws are in Alaska. I was going to say, he was lucky, but then I thought about the fact that he's probably being arrested for attempting self-deletion. Forensic chemist here who occasionally gets called out to crime scenes just to consult on evidence collection. On the first one I ever went on, a father had killed his adult son and put the body in a deep freeze that was in his bedroom. There were a ton of cops and the other people from our lab there, but when the coroner asked for help removing the body from the freezer, I volunteered quickly, as I had never been that close to a dead body, other than funerals, and was curious. As I helped the coroner lift the body out of the freezer, which 
still had a bunch of food in it too, a pack of frozen biscuits was stuck to his body. I had to pry them off of him, which was both very weird and kind of funny at the same time. I often ponder, like so many other people do, what my final moments will define me as in the face of those who know and love me, as well as strangers who may be there to witness my downfall or whatever. And you know, there are people who obviously you know and care about, who love you, but that will remember you fondly. And then there are people like this who are just like, oh yeah, that guy who got biscuits stuck to him. Ah, tragic story though. EMT here. We had a guy who was naked, bloodied, and tortured, then left outside in minus 10 degree weather until he froze. We found him literally frozen maybe a day after the fact. Now, my question is, how the hell do you move a 230 pound popsicle without breaking it? Very, very carefully, I imagine. I interned at the office of the chief medical examiner when I was 18, saw a lot of interesting stuff, learned a lot of interesting things. One case stuck with me more than the rest. I arrived one morning, went down to the basement where bodies were laid out for rounds every morning. On tables lay the usual, a couple of folks who died in the hospital and needed a partial autopsy to sign off on a death certificate, an illegal substance overdose, an illegal substance murder. Then, on one table, there was a blue Tupperware bin. A big one. About three by three by two. It was filled with concrete, and out of the edges a little plastic wrap was lining between the concrete and the bin. And then, out of the top of the concrete, a couple of toes were poking out. The story was, out in the country a family saw a small fire in the woods outside of their house. They called the fire department, and after putting out the flames, they found this bin. When we cracked the bin open, we found half of a man, about from the belly button down. Someone had thought the best way to dispose of this body would be to cut it in half, wrap it in plastic, put it in a Tupperware bin, fill the bin with concrete, and set it on fire. What they had really done was essentially cook the body in an oven with the plastic wrap acting as a roasting bag. Skin was sloughing off of the legs and feet, and the skin was discolored by this time. A nice green. Though this was about ten years ago, I still distinctly remember being able to make out saw marks on the top edge of this half, however. Notes were taken and no signs of death were found on the legs and no indication of the person's identity either. Unfortunately, my internship ended a few weeks before they found the top half, so I never got to learn more about the case, but the image still certainly sticks with me till now. I once considered doing an internship at a morgue myself, but you know what? Some of the things you'd see in there would probably just, like they said, stick with you for the rest of your life. Or at least a really long time. I'm not a forensic scientist, but did forensic anthropology as part of my degree. When handling a rib cage, a ton of flakes came off and ended up lodged in my mouth, nose, and eyes thanks to a friend. Mmm, yummy, flaky rib cage bits. Forensic genetic in Mexico. I've seen some serious stuff. I was assigned to the identification of mass graves, over 300 bodies, dismembered, scattered, and burnt. It was just one site. We had many. I'm gonna presume that's the work of the cartels. Stepfather used to be a police officer and loves telling stories about crime scenes. He went on to tell us about how after a motorcycle rider was struck by a train, he went under the wheel. His torso was found about 30 feet from his legs. They were connected by an intestine, so he picked up one end of the intestine and started to wrap it up like a rope. I defer back to the young man who had frozen biscuits stuck to his dead body. Just imagine that. You're dead on the floor and some guy's just wrapping up your intestines like he's putting away the garden hose. It's a rather surreal thought. My cousin is a coroner and the worst was he came to get a body in a trailer during the summer. Man had been dead at least a week and it burst. He said the smell was the worst of his life. He and the other guys were up to their ankles in fluids and had to throw out his clothes and shoes. His boss felt so bad that he bought them each a new pair of like $300 shoes. 
I was literally watching Seven last night. It's a film with young Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman. Do not recommend it for the faint of heart. And uh, that's what I'm picturing. Like, the crime scenes in it are super gritty and horrible. Like, you would not want to be there. And that's what I'm imagining this trailer as. Not me, but there was a great case that I can't currently find on Google. I hope it was true. A woman was found dead in her bed with blood everywhere, and I mean everywhere. There were wine glasses or drinking glasses throughout the house with blood in them. I think blood may have been smeared about as well. So the investigators assume some bizarre ritual, a gang of people, the whole nine yards. Long story short, she had some strange clotting problems and was bleeding out of her mouth for an extended period of time. She probably got hazy from the loss of blood and was just trying not to make a mess in her house, so she kept spitting the blood in glasses. Eventually, she was overcome and died in her bed. I only hope it was true because I don't want to propagate lies. I was about to say out of context the whole I hope it's true is a bit weird. I didn't internship at a PD one year. I got to be with a forensic team for a week. I got to see the aftermath of what a stabbing looks like. A 113 stab wound aftermath. Yes, 113 is correct. Unreal amounts of blood are used to kitchen knife. Upon first inspection, it appeared like a dozen because there was so much blood on the body they couldn't tell how many there actually was. Gruesome. I actually personally know someone who was almost decapitated in a similarly excessive and brutal way. They survived and they were a very nice person. They moved away a good long while ago and, uh, well, I hope they're doing well. I regularly post on Unsolved Mysteries, so I thought this was fitting here. One of the best cases on forensic files was a cold case that had gone unsolved for decades. A man told police he had picked up a hitchhiker in the evening. After the man and the hitchhiker got into a fight, the man threw him out of his car two miles away from his mother's house on a busy highway. The man later came home to his mother's house only to find the hitchhiker at his mother's house. He left to go call the police from a payphone. This was before cell phones. The police found his mother dead in bed. The man was a beneficiary of a huge life insurance policy and was the prime suspect. The cops or anyone did not believe the man's story. It was inconceivable that the hitchhiker, who did not know where the mother's house was, could make a two-mile journey which turns in a neighborhood to just randomly break in and kill the man's mother who he didn't know. But there was blood at the scene and a palm print on the staircase that was not the man's nor the mother's. After some investigation, people at Hardy's did confirm that there was a man that fit the description looking to hitchhike. Still, they just assumed the man had paid the other man to kill his mother. Fifteen years later, after the invention of CODIS, the DNA was matched to a career criminal who definitely matched the description of the hitchhiker. After bringing him in and interrogating him, the killer had no idea he had killed the mother of the man who gave him a ride. He simply walked through this neighborhood looking for a house that looked empty and his mother's was the only one without the lights on. It's baffling. It also sounds like just plain awful luck. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
I was at a regional medical center in rural Guatemala when we had a case come in from an RTA, road traffic accident, involving a pedestrian and a chicken bus. For those who don't know, a popular but incredibly dangerous form of public transport are retired American school buses that have been painted all sorts of vibrant colors, but underneath, the mechanics are shot to hell. Anyway, this pedestrian had been hit by one of these rolling death traps, which was fully loaded going around 80 miles per hour and ended up getting wrapped under the front right wheel arch and completely mangled beyond recognition. They found bits of this guy spread two kilometers down the road and the initial impact had split his torso down the middle and basically turned him inside out. When all the bits had been collected, the height of the body bag was around two inches, so you can imagine the state of the remains. Passers-by helped us pick up bits from the side of the road, but dogs and cats ran off with a fair amount of the smaller bits. Guatemala is a cool place. First of all, I also never heard of a chicken bus. I assumed it was literally that, a bus for chickens to be transported to wherever chickens need be. Second of all, my god, he was bloody... There's barely anything left of him if that's the case. Not a forensic scientist, but I majored in anthropology, with a focus on forensic anthropology. Given that, I was a fairly regular reader of the Forensic Science Quarterly. Here are a couple that I remember. Kid found on top of an elevator in a six-story dorm. Apparently, he was elevator surfing, which is just as dumb as it sounds. He somehow got his head caught in the cables and got it twisted around a couple of times. This did not immediately kill him. He died from asphyxiation, which means he had anywhere from 30 to a couple of minutes to contemplate what had happened to him before he lost consciousness. Another one was sort of a mystery case. Headless corpse found in a truck in a national park. No head was to be found in the immediate area. Truck was turned on but had run out of gas. The wound was very clean, no sawing, almost like a guillotine cut. The investigating authorities were rather confused, but eventually they found a receipt in his pocket for 50 yards of nylon rope. They widened the investigation and eventually found the rope tied to a tree with a noose at the end. Further searching of this area eventually turned up the head. Pretty unique method of self-deletion. Mystery solved. This one isn't from the magazine, but a story personally relayed to me from the officer involved. A call comes in for a 50-ish black woman dead in a garage. Investigation reveals it is actually a 35-year-old white male. Dude put on a dress, rigged a noose to his garage door opener, and proceeded to watch some smut in his garage while choking himself with the garage door opener. Battery in the remote died, and then so did he. I am reminded of an episode of Bojack Horseman. I had a professor who was an expert in osteology and would train radiologists and doctors to recognize defensive fractures in arm bones. Defending yourself from an attack can leave a very distinctive spiral fracture on your forearm, and in his years of research, he'd never encountered that specific fracture pattern anywhere except in a defensive wound. Until he was attending a seminar at the University of Toronto in February, and when leaving the lecture, he was walking down an outdoor flight of stairs when someone called out to him to ask a question. He had his hands in his pockets because he wasn't wearing gloves, turned, slipped, and fell while perpendicular to the steps. His forearm hit the step and resulted in the exact spiral fracture he'd never seen anywhere else. And best part is that the radiologist that examined him was someone he himself trained to look for this sort of fracture as a warning sign for domestic violence. I'm picturing the dude who fell goes in, his student or former student, the radiologist, examines him and is like, Sir, has your wife been hitting you? A bit late, but this is my area, so why not go for it? 
I'm in third year as a forensic anthropology student, so I don't have my own cases yet, but I've studied hundreds and have been told about some. My professor in advanced forensic methods was one of the leads in the case of Anthony Hardy, who basically killed people, dismembered them, and put their body parts in bins that were eventually found by a homeless guy. Another one she worked on, actually all I'm going to list were ones she was involved with, involved a man who went to park his car in his garage as he normally did, but his wife's car was in the spot. She refused to move it, so naturally, he stabbed her about 17 times, put her in his boot, and drove off. He explained the bloodstains away as being animal blood of something he'd hit, carried home in his boot, and cut it up on the garage floor. Obviously, this was a crap excuse as simple blood testing showed it was human. She ran us through the forensics involved in that case, and it was quality stuff. One was a man found with his wrists and throat cut sitting on the floor of his living room. Depressed old man. Self-deletion, right? wrong. The cut to his throat stopped halfway across and was at an unusual angle. The stopping halfway through is a good sign of holding someone from behind, reaching around and slitting the throat. Stopping halfway is in that position, it's much harder to fight a struggle. Also, the wrist wound had very little blood and was evidently done after the throat slit. The way he was sat showed that it was likely a loved one, as his body was taken care of, as strange as that sounds, and placed in a loving position. Possibly the weirdest one, a woman was found dead in the hole at the bottom of the stairs with blunt force trauma to the skull. There was a large hole in the ceiling above her and the situation told to the forensic team by the police is that she fell through the loft. In the loft, no boxes were moved and there were loads around the site of the hole. If she fell, she would have grabbed out, right? More damning, it was clear, by some sawdust in the state of the slats that someone had used a saw to cut through the wood. Also, the blood splatter on the wall was all wrong. Basically, what had happened was that her husband had smashed her head in, put her at the bottom of the stairs, cut a hole in the loft, called the police, and told them of the accident. He also tried to kill the family liaison officer in the kitchen when the police were there after he realized the jig was up. Seen a lot more stuff than that. Self-deletions that look like murders but no evidence found, vice versa. Bodies found in burnt buildings. Bodies found in swamps or moors from years back. Terrible labs for the production of illegal substances. Even got sort of taught how to make illegal substances, actually. Mass graves, photos, grapes, murder victims. It's pretty grim at times. I'm just picturing the dude who, like, left his wife at the bottom of the stairs and everything, thinking, oh, yeah, I'm smart. I'm real smart. I'm like a Columbo. Villain. From a family friend, people who do lots of yoga involving rolling their heads around the axis of their neck, over time it wears away the corners of the vertebrae, which is why you're not supposed to do it. He saw a few cases of people getting into relatively minor car crashes. What should have been a nasty case of whiplash instead becomes fatal, as their spine was weakened and can't stop the momentum of their head. So it just pops right off of the spinal column. The head doesn't fly away or anything, it's still held on by muscle, but the driver is just as dead. I gotta be honest, through all of the violent descriptions of the things that happen to people in this, I'm just getting like a blast of like the x-rays from Mortal Kombat or something of whatever I'm describing. It's it's crazy. I'm not even a Mortal Kombat fan. I'm more of a Street Fighter, Guilty Gear, Blaze Blue guy. Hell, if you catch me in the right mood, I might want to play Dead or Alive more than friggin' Mortal Kombat. An ex-journalist once told me the story that got him out of journalism. He covered a story where there was a house fire. Police suspected arson. Then they discovered the body of a young girl in the house. It was not the owner's, but a local girl whose mom was a junkie. Turned out that the mother was pimping her daughter out to the owner. Some local residents knew he was a nonce and set fire to his house, killing him and the girl. That's just sad. I mean, I don't give a crap what happens to a nonce, but the kid, oh man... 
I am a wound researcher, currently specializing in genetic changes along wound healing phases. Forensics does a lot of research into this, as the progression of a wound reveals a lot about time of death, conditions, etc. Prior to this, I had worked with cadavers and stuff, majored in neuropsych, preemed roots, so lots of bloody stuff. I thought that I had a low squeamish index, as I see most stuff is a part of life. Holy crap, these studies I am reviewing right now. Apparently, a lot of people have massive chronic wounds that go untreated for a long time because they're diabetic, and A, don't have the proper vasculature for proper nociceptor function, and B, don't care enough about their bodies. So forensics can help differentiate whether a wound existed prior to death or not, and studies also look at different subpopulations to show wound progression in general, and some studies show graphic pictures to depict this. Seeing a morbidly obese man's legs split open like a wilted banana peel put me off work for a day. I couldn't crop the picture out and I scrapped the paper from consideration because the images comparing injury progression and chronic wound changes post-death were full of the most messed up diabetic wounds. I get that it's not a grisly murder, but I can handle that sort of stuff. I feel empathy for combat wound research I cover, and I don't recoil from any of those cases. Pressure ulcers don't flinch me. But diabetic wounds? I need to get back into brains. I checked some of the examples of wounds that this individual talked about, and uh, yeah, they're all pretty gross. And yeah, the diabetic wounds are pretty damn bad. Worked a burglary one time with a homeowner left in the morning and came back to discover their house had been broken into during the day. Normal things were stolen. Electronics, cash, jewelry, etc. But what was left behind is a head scratcher. The burglar took a dump on the toilet seat cover and then covered it nearly with a towel. The victim wanted it collected for DNA processing. Um, nope. Forensic swab didn't left it for the homeowners to handle. I gave them some latex gloves and wished them luck. Full disclosure, I'm a cop, not forensics. When you subscribe, make sure to hit the bell to turn on notifications. Put the playlist on in the background to finish listening to all the stories. And if you like Am I the Genius, give Am I the Jerk a shot. Linked in the description below.